You're listening to the Today in Manufacturing podcast. Hi, I'm David Manti, and welcome to a new episode of the Today in Manufacturing podcast. With me today are Jeff Ranke and Anna Wells. We each have about 15 years of experience covering the manufacturing industry. Each week, we take the five most popular stories on the website and discuss the implications they might have on the industry going forward. Please make sure to like, share, and subscribe to the podcast. You can also help us out a lot by leaving us a positive review on whatever platform you use. Finally, to email the podcast, you can reach any of us at Jeff, Anna, or David at IEN.com with email the podcast in the subject line. Anna, it's good to see you back. Hi, I'm back. <laughs> so good to be back. Everyone's feeling well? <laughs> Everyone is back in business. Very good. Very good. Jeff, how are you doing this week? I'm good. And I'm sorry if I'm crowding you behind the desk. I think I put on about 10 pounds over yeah. holiday break. <laughs> yeah. Well earned, but still. Well, well that's fine because the stress of full-time parenting <laughs> took 10 off of me. So <laughs> we still fit in the same window. All right. Uh, before we get started, I want to send a shout out, a thank you to Mark, uh, Marina, Kyle, and Chris. Thank you all for reaching out uh, to the podcast. We really appreciate it. Um, you guys got anything else before we jump into this? Let's do this. All right. Let's see what this quiet news week has in store for us. <clears throat> All right. Our first story this week, autonomous trucker logs first no human road test. On December 22nd, Too Simple successfully completed the first ever operation of a driverless semi-truck on an open public road. The test took place overnight along an 80-mile route in Arizona and took about 80 minutes. It started at a rail yard in Tucson, Arizona, and ended at a distribution center in Phoenix. The truck finished the trip without a human on board and without any human intervention. According to Too Simple, it is the first fully autonomous run by a Class 8 vehicle without any human intervention. The semi, <clears throat> the semi, successfully, <clears throat> the semi successfully navigated highway lane changes, traffic signals, on-ramps and off-ramps while naturally interacting with other motorists. And Anna, that was the point that got me. I was like, wait, so none of the other motorists knew? No, they know. And they're weirded out for sure. <laughs> like for a long time, we're going to continue to be weirded out. Um, I cannot get past this name too simple, T-U simple. Mm-hmm. It just sounds like a 90s like R&B group. Yeah. <laughs> a boy band. I don't know. It's like the new male of autonomous trucking. Yeah. Too simple. <laughs> All right. Uh, it was Nick Lachey's follow-up to 98 <laughs> Degrees. <laughs> I'm back with Too Simple. Uh, anyway. Uh, yeah, I don't know. These developments are interesting and obviously quite relevant right mm-hmm. now. Um, there's few drivers available, fewer than ever probably. Um, but to me, and this is probably just uh, like a, a side note, but I think that there's like some more discussions that need to be had around autonomous deliveries. Mm-hmm. Um, let's not forget that the trucker shortage is sort of dovetailing with an everybody shortage. Mm-hmm. So um, autonomous trucks c- accomplish like just one component of a logistical operation, which is transit. Once they arrive at their destination, I guess like what what happens? You know, I mean, it sounds like a dumb question, but like, are we pushing the onus of like unloading this truck onto the customer now? Mm. Like, I know that there are certain applications where this doesn't matter, but a lot of them do, right? So. Um, you know, it's it's not like this is just an autonomous, like, you know, those like little mini fridge looking robots that like drop a pizza off at your house yeah. and you just grab it, right? Yeah, the terrifying little robot dogs. Yeah, yeah. that like have no eyes, but mm-hmm. they, it would be worse if they had eyes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But this is a semi truck and I think it's meant to replace a unit that's like staffed with a person who's trained and insured to move items onto the dock and not require a facility to like target an internal person for this job. Like, 
I just think there's more to be worked out in terms of how these are deployed, which applications. I mean, like Walmart, I think, is using driverless trucks right now, and they have like a 12-mile circuit between their DC and their store, and they like take online orders, they fulfill them, and they drop them at the store where they can be picked up. Okay. Well, that makes sense, right? Mm-hmm. Like that's maybe one of the earliest and most viable like options for this solution. But as far as like a driverless semi full of like Emerald products coming to your manufacturing facility or a fuel tra- tanker truck, which is like one of the most dangerous of trucking jobs and hardest to fill, pulling up to a gas station with no driver to transfer fuel. I, I just like I don't see that that stuff yet. I think mm-hmm. there's a lot of applications where this just does not work yet. Um, there's a lot of like last mile considerations. Who are these people that are like taking care of that last bit of business, I guess? Yeah. So I think it's naive to just think about like the case for autonomous trucks is just sort of this like 60 mile an hour highway sweet spot where they're just sitting by like truckers have a lot of other responsibilities in their, their jobs. Like a computer can drive a truck, but that's not the full picture of what a trucker's job is. Right. So I think there's other considerations that have to be discussed here in terms of like how this would really play out in reality for a lot of applications. Some might see it works for now a lot. It doesn't. I think that we've covered some stories where we could see possible integrations with this. Mm -hmm. We saw the robot, I believe from Boston Dynamics that can, like, remember it pulled up the conveyor belt to the truck and unloaded the, uh, unloaded the truck. And then we, uh, you know, a couple of years ago, we saw those sort of uh, humanoid robots that were deployed from the, what was it, like a mashup with Amazon and Ford, I think, where the robot was deployed out of the back of the car. Mm-hmm. And I mean, we've seen the, uh, whatever Tesla's humanoid robot is too. Maybe that all plays part of the equation. But to your point about last mile considerations, I don't know if you guys watched the video of this, yeah. but I mean, it didn't even make it. I mean, last mile, it didn't even, I mean, it made it to the distribution center, but it didn't like go in. Mm-hmm. It like stops before it even gets to the checkpoint. And it's just like, nailed it. Done. So now quite a what? Bit, yeah, quite a bit more logistically to be worked out. Uh, Jeff, so you said that you uh, watched the video. What were your thoughts on it? Well, talking about being weirded out, watching the steering wheel just move oh, by yeah. itself yeah. was pretty crazy. Yeah, like that. That. Thankfully, it's higher up, so I don't think many people could actually notice that. And it was at night, mm-hmm. so probably less freaking out on the highway, which is always good. Mm-hmm. Sure. So. I find that so weird, though, that like if you design an autonomous car, like, do you need the steering wheel still? Well, oddly, I mean, that kind of leads into where I was going. And in an odd um, change of events, I'm actually more glass half full on this. Yeah. I thought oh, wow. this was okay. I thought this was promising for a lot of reasons. First of all, unlike a company, say we talked about Nikola last time, oh, yeah. mm-hmm. they want to reinvent the wheel, essentially. They want to build the truck. What this company, Too Simple, is doing is focusing on the software. They've partnered with people like Navistar, Scania, Triton. These are global OEMs of semis. Mm -hmm. They don't want to build the truck. Mm -hmm. They want to make it better. They want to make it more cost-effective. They want to help solve some problems out there, like the driver shortage, Mm -hmm. like some of the supply chain issues we have because we don't have enough drivers to get stuff from point A to point B. I can appreciate the last mile considerations, but I'm more worried about it getting there And then let's try to figure out how to unload it. Mm -hmm. So I think this does focus on a lot of those issues, plus a lot of their other partners, which you don't see on these other autonomous companies' websites, like UPS, um, Union Pacific, Ryder, Penske, Schneider Trucking. These are all people who handle logistics, Mm -hmm. and they are working with these guys Mm -hmm. in developing this technology. So I think this puts them a step ahead of a lot of other people in this space, and even a lot of other stories we've done on autonomous technology in that – they don't want to reinvent the wheel. They mm-hmm. just want to make it better, more efficient, 
more cost effective in a lot of situations. I think this is the first step in what could be a very viable solution just mm-hmm. because of who they're working with, also who they're choosing to partner with, and the fact that they've even putting together routes that they're already working on. Um, this autonomous freight network that they're starting to operate just within the southwestern part of the country, running from Texas up through Phoenix, they've got something in place already. Mm-hmm. That says they're trying to be part of a solution, not just throw something really cool out there and right. see what oh, they yeah. can do. Oh, yeah. yeah, no, I totally agree with that. I think that like there's a lot of promise here. I just, there's, we're, we'll have to get there slowly. You just want to douse it and. I just want to kick it. Yeah, I just want to yeah. kick it while it's down mm-hmm. a bit. Be well, the first one to jump on that bandwagon. Yep. It is uh, <laughs> a problem that is affecting all of those stakeholders and you know, to the tune of many, many millions of dollars. So they all have quite an incentive to figure out right. what they're how they're gonna work around this problem. I thought, you know, hey, at least it solves the problem with uh, truckers not being able to use the bathroom. That's true. No more like ur- urinating in water bottles. Is yeah, yeah, yeah. That'll That's be true. nice. And uh, so now there was no human intervention, but there was a lead vehicle about five miles ahead of the truck looking for unexpected obstacles. And there was also a vehicle trailing about a half mile behind the truck. <laughs> so those people. That, that was the part I didn't get. Like in the story, it was like just in case something happened, there's a trail vehicle. What is that? What are they going to do? What are they going to do? <laughs> I just like maybe the trail vehicle just turns sideways and lets everyone know. Is he the one calling ahead saying, "Oh yeah. guys, this is going bad"? Yeah, just get the press release ready get the uh, record no going under the bus um. <laughs> it was uh well that was the other thing i was curious about is should do you think if you were on the road mm-hmm. you know kind of like when you pass an oversized uh semi truck and it has the lead and the tail vehicle that are both like have warnings saying that there's an oversized vehicle yeah would you want to be mm-hmm. warned that you're either being passed by or passing an autonomous vehicle i don't think that's a good idea whether i want it or not uh Irrelevant, I guess, but I, I, I feel like, I don't know, people don't trust autonomous technology yet. And, you know, there's all the, the always those like reports about people like monkeying with robots. Yeah. And like, uh, I know in, what was it Arizona where they're doing a lot of autonomous vehicle testing, like in the last couple of years, there have been a lot of reports of people like trying to run them off the road and, like, you know, kick. <laughs> Sharing a little paint. Yeah. So like. Rubbing. <laughs> yeah. Just rubbing. I don't know if it's helpful that you know. Okay. You know what I mean? It's yeah, not no, going to change anything. I, I, I agree with you. I just wondered if that was something that, because as you watch the footage of this and they're headed down the interstate and they're, you know, as traffic passing by, you know. I think long-term, yes. Yeah. Which kind of yeah, is right. backwards yeah. Yeah. a little no, bit. No, I agree though. But I think right now, because I still have visions of that idiot in the Tesla who was on autopilot going across the Bay Bridge, like waving at people and oh, tweeting yeah. out what he was doing. Mm-hmm. That I could see happening. If you see an autonomous semi coming down the road, people just being stupid about it yeah but over time as it potentially becomes more mainstream yeah i think it is a good idea just mm-hmm. in that hopefully you know 0.0001 percent chance something goes weird you know i want to get past this semi or stay back from it mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. i mean too simple did say that you know drivers account for about 40 percent of all trucking operational expenses and that immediately they're going to save 10 percent on fuel because autonomously, it's going to be more efficient. And I just see this as a switch to automation that once it is viable, is going to have an ROI of like a month. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I don't yeah. know. I, yeah. It's uh, Well, and there's a number of other providers out there. They're, they're trailing too simple right now, but they've got things in the works. And again, it's because they're focused on, I don't want to build the truck. I'm going to build the software. Mm-hmm. And there's a company, Aurora is one, um, another one um, kind of escapes me right now, but there's a couple out there that too simple is competing with. But they were the first one to uh, to get the whole route. In okay. Place. Okay. 
Well, I think it's interesting, and uh, I, I don't know. I guess I look forward to seeing more. I mean, now I'm going to pass a semi-truck and just look for a driver. <laughs> you know, before it was like, could I get him to honk for the kids? <clears throat> but now. Yeah, how do they automate oh, this? Right? They do they have a camera coming. to yeah, see? Yeah, some sort of it's sensor. Co- you know it's coming. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Very good. Our next most popular story on the websites. Uh, would-be buyers aghast at used car prices. <laughs> I've been spelling aghast wrong my whole life, I realized today. <laughs> Aghast. I don't know if I've ever used that word. <laughs> mm. Ever. I'm aghast that you've never used it. Prices for used vehicles have skyrocketed, and it's happened so fast that buyers are getting priced out of the market. In November, the average price of a used vehicle in the U.S. was $29,000 or $29,011. According to Edmunds.com, that is 39% more than in November 2020. The average payment is more than $500 per month for a used vehicle. For the first time, possibly in history, less than half of America's households can't afford to buy an average-priced used car. The pandemic is to blame for many reasons. Auto plants suspended production to slow the spread. Fewer people bought new cars, meaning fewer trades. And semiconductor makers shifted chip, uh, chip production from autos to consumer electronics. Now, many experts believe that inflated vehicle prices won't ease for the foreseeable future. And Jeff, this is something that you've lived recently. (laughs) Yeah. As I've mentioned, I've got um, three teenage girls. Two of them are driving. One, actually, I had a bit of a moment this morning. She pulled out of the driveway and drove herself to school. It's kind of... For the first time? Yeah. Yeah, it was was kind of a thing. Were you aghast? I was not aghast. I'm not going to go into my emotions at that moment. (laughs) But it was a It was a thing. But yeah, so she has that car and we we're looking for something because I still need to come to work. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. last couple of months trying to find something, it was pretty crazy what we were seeing out there. The ones that got me was like the um, the Corollas and the Accords, mm-hmm. those types of vehicles. They could have over 100,000 miles on it. And you are still looking at fourteen, fifteen thousand dollars $15,000 for some nice. of these cars. Wow. So yeah, it was definitely a challenge finding something in our price range. Um, we weren't looking for anything extravagant. Fortunately, I did find something in that fifty thousand mile range mm-hmm. that wasn't that wasn't crazy expensive. Mm-hmm. So we were fortunate there. The one thing that kind of throws me off here is the five hundred dollars per month for mm-hmm. a used vehicle. Um, I think you got some different financing options there. So that one that seems a bit high. Mm-hmm. But overall, it's no joke in terms of the used car market out there. The other sort of caveat that's there is if you do have a vehicle to trade in, mm-hmm. we didn't in this instance. We did for my, when we got my wife's um, newer vehicle. The trade-in values are equally as high. Yeah. So there is value there, mm-hmm. which makes me kind of wonder long-term, once this does get corrected, mm-hmm. what is it? What is that going to be like? Is it going to be gradual enough so that some of these car dealerships just don't get crushed? Mm-hmm. I mean, if you've bought a vehicle expecting a certain margin on it when you sell it, and all mm-hmm. of a sudden that market value goes back to quote-unquote normal, what's going to happen then to some of these inventory levels and pricing and, and long-term profitability for these car dealerships? So it's it's going to be interesting to see not only how long this lasts, mm-hmm. but then what happens with that corrective element. Mm-hmm. Yeah. From what I saw, uh, they talked about it lasting until at least 2023. And I hope, I hope, it's too much benefit of the doubt, I know it before I even say it, but that People understand that if they're in the car market now, it's a different market than will exist in a couple of years. Mm-hmm. Is that is that too optimistic to hope people are thinking that, Anna? Not, not. <laughs> Maybe some of them. Well, cars are so subjective, right? Vehicles, yeah. people have different attitudes. I'm, yeah. I'm kind of, I can appreciate the nicer vehicles and what they are. Yeah. But at the end of the day, I want to go from point A to point B as mm-hmm. safely and efficiently as possible. Yeah, with That's, heat. 
Mm-hmm. Eat, right now. Especially now. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, pe- people's perceptions and priorities are totally different based on yeah. their situation. You mm-hmm. know, it's either you, you, maybe you need it today. Yeah. And you're going to make a choice that maybe you wouldn't make <laughs> yeah. at any other time, you know? Mm-hmm. Which, you know, I think, so like I, I was interested in some of the quotes in the article from David Paris from J.D. Power mm-hmm. and how he talked about how he expects this shortage to worsen throughout 2024 but that, quote, if you look hard enough and are willing to wait and travel, he said, you can find deals across most brands. Okay. And I know his heart is in the right place with this advice, but does that not apply truly to everything? Like, yeah, that's a problem because when you have resources, right, um, you can be selective. You pay less for almost everything. If you don't, you pay more. Like, look at like a food desert, for example. Like, yeah. you don't have a vehicle. There's no grocery store. You pay twice as much for food at a convenience store than you would at a grocery store because you can't get there, right? Right. You're trapped. <laughs> um, I think the article details like how people of average income can't afford an average priced used car now and think about those at below average income. Mm-hmm. And it seems like just maybe another complication to this labor shortage. If you think about like components that could impact people and their ability to go to work, considering transportation is really critical getting to and from most jobs. And if you look at like the census data around public transit, 5% of workers in the United States regularly use public transit. And of them, 70% of them uh, live in one of the top seven largest metropolitan areas in the U.S. So like translation, if you're not living in a big city, good luck finding a convenient and reliable like public transit system to take you to and from work. Mm-hmm. It's not anybody's fault, you know? Well, but, it's plenty of people's fault that there's no mass transit available. Oh, I'm talking about <laughs> like the... What do you mean by that? I just mean that, uh, you know, if there was greater mass transit infrastructure in cities, you know, maybe people wouldn't be so beholden to their cars. Like we went through like about 10 years ago where there was a big sort of like pullback from we were going towards a more connected mass transit system. And people pulled back on that because of the investment that it would have taken. And I think as a result, we have a lack of options for people that need to rely on it. Okay, there's a lot there that we can get into. I don't want to cut Anna off from the point she was going to make. That just means you don't want to respond. (laughs) I think you know better. Yeah. My point is um, that, you know, if we're looking at barriers – to um to to work and people and people companies dealing with these labor shortages this could become another area if this persists for a couple of years and they're saying like some people are being forced into making these costly repairs on these vehicles that they would just as soon replace if they could afford to Mm -hmm. if they can't and they're staring down these really expensive repairs that they can't afford like people are going to run out of options here sometimes you know as it comes to like how they can even uh you know make it to and from a job So, so We'll see if this um, weighs on that problem a little bit more than it maybe already has. Mm-hmm. Um, I was interested to see that the average new vehicle is almost $46,000 now. And since the pandemic started, used vehicle prices have jumped 42%. So last month, the average used vehicle price was 63% of the average of a new vehicle cost. And before the pandemic, that was only 54%, just showing how much they've gone up in value. Now, Back to what I was talking about, like uh, with mass transit, Jeff, is that <clears throat> I just think there could be more options for people out there. And we're lucky enough to be in a city in Madison that has some of those options for people that they can take reliable mass transit. And that's just not that's not the case for some people. 
or some communities. Okay, but it's like you mentioned, we, the reason there was blowback because of the investment that's involved. Mm-hmm. If you're going to make that investment, you need to have some sort of return on that where people are going to use it. So it's a whole chicken and the egg thing, right? Mm-hmm. If you build it, are they going to use it? Well, around here, all the studies said, no, yeah. they're not going to. Yeah, so why should we put the money into something that people aren't going to use and because, have, have empty buses? Well, because there's sometimes unforeseen things happen like this. And sometimes you need to maybe be prepared for that unknown in, in the future. You know, that's something that, you know, back then that was a good argument for. But now it's something that we could really use. Well, I don't think anybody could predict a global pandemic driving no. up used car p- no. prices by 46%. No, I completely understand that too. And I'm, I'm talking about it more like uh, the lack of overall investment in infrastructure that uh, has been causing issues with public transportation or public transportation or how anybody kind of gets around right now. Well, do you have um, to admit that it levels the playing field a, a bit for everybody to be able to agreed. have access to that? I think in some areas, yes, it could definitely help solve this. And you bring up a great point about if are people going to be able to get to their jobs if they can't afford to have a car. I mm-hmm. mean, that's a, that's a very good point. But in terms of looking at mass transit as potentially being the end all solution, I'm not sure about that. I think it could just end up being another government subsidized program that is underutilized and overfunded. Yeah. Well, it's, I mean, I think the important part is that it's a solution. Because right now, even in, because uh, Anna was talking about people that are likely to be in the most popular areas right now, being able to rely on uh, public transportation, all of those systems were hit very hard with the pandemic because nobody was using them. So there's been no money. Mm -hmm. And so those are failing also. And so sometimes now you can see how like in a New York City, a Boston, like those public transit systems are, you know, very necessary in order for people to live. I mean, and I think, Mm -hmm. uh, Anna, to your point also, it's necessary not just in like major metropolitan areas. Um, And so I just think that, so what? Because people stopped taking it during the pandemic, like they shouldn't help prop up the mass transit? I think you're, I was coming in from, we're coming from two different ways. Yeah, if no, it's I'm already, <laughs> you changed directions. Yeah, no, Curveball. Ah. Yeah, that's right. Man. I pivoted and coming around. <laughs> Again, <laughs> I think as long as there is consumer demand for the service and it's a good investment that way, that's fine. Yeah. To say it's a, just a, a stopgap, one stop solution, no, I don't buy that at all. No, I don't think it's a, I think of it more as like insurance, not like a one stop solution. It's like one more tool that a public has at its disposal. I just think, and look, I've, going through Germany and stuff like that, the mass transit system is set up so well, mm-hmm. it just makes sense to use it. And yeah. I understand your point about making those investments, but as a, from just from a societal perspective, we just don't work that way here. Yeah. Like, and to change that paradigm and that way of thinking, as opposed to from getting in your car to looking at a bus schedule. Yeah. But I just can, don't see it happening. It starts with changing one mind, Jeff. <laughs> Whoa. Is that, is that one to grow on right there? <laughs> True, but it, if you do look at David's going to do it. No, I don't want to. Uh, David's going to change the world. I'm not ever probably likely going to do that, but you know. <laughs> um, but if you look at the communities that have you know invested, like in Chicago or New York, like that is part of everyday life because mm-hmm. the system is so good and reliable. You know your schedule on the train. You know your schedule on the bus. Like mostly, anyways. Okay. Um, you know, sometimes you're not sure if you got on the express train or you got on the, you know, the train that stops at every stop on your way from New York to Boston or no, Maryland. Oh my God. So long. (laughs) Baltimore. (laughs) Um, And the the other thing I wanted to talk about is just, I really need to call Rawhide and see if I can get my neon back because I held on to that car for like eight years and it did nothing. And I just donated it. And if I just held on a little longer, Mm -hmm. little longer, I'd have probably still zero trade value. 
Zero. <laughs> yeah, it is in Zero. the bottom of a, a river. It had no door panels. Yeah. It's, it's being used as a, to dam a river. <laughs> yeah. right. show, they show that to people when they donate a car, and they're like, we can't take this. Yeah. Right? If it's like this, just sorry. Some things scrap. Yeah. All right. Our next most popular story this week. Tesla says it delivered a record 936,000 vehicles in 2021, up 87%. Now, last year, Tesla delivered... 936,000 vehicles, which is up 87%, a record from 2020. Analysts call the numbers jaw-dropping, giving the ongoing global chip shortage. The increase is likely due to the growing demand from car buyers in China. China. Anna, your thoughts on record deliveries from Tesla? The analysts are aghast. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Their jaws have dropped because they were so aghast. <laughs> And Elon Musk does nothing but complain about He has to sell more uh, another billion know, dollars yeah. in stock. I read day. I read this, I can't remember who pointed this out, but that his so he's complaining about paying eleven billion dollars in taxes. And apparently he made um that's a third of what he made in one day last year. Mm. Um his wealth increased by hundred and twenty one billion dollars in twenty twenty one and a hundred and ten billion in twenty twenty. So <sighs> So it's still quite a hit for him. It's going to be tough for him to make it, but I think he might make oh, it. Man, that's like those equations when uh, they sign a new contract, like in the NFL, and you realize that they make more in a minute than you do all year. <laughs> like That's good. I see the value. Okay. Yep. Um, look, Teslas are enjoying a time when electrics are getting a lot of attention, but there's not that many out on the market. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, Tesla's benefiting from that, I think. Plus, they have the cool factor, like... So I would predict like that even the next two years when there's a flood of new EV models that hit the market, that Tesla's still going to flourish because these models will be new. I think, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of buyers are going to be reluctant to sort of be that early adopter, especially if it's a brand that is new to putting out full EVs. It's after that that I think Tesla is really going to struggle to maintain this kind of momentum um, that we've seen in the last two years, which has been insane, right? Mm-hmm. Jaw dropping. Yeah. <laughs> But like when every automaker in town has like five or six EV models and they spent some time on the market and then buyers are going to have their pick of those, um, Tesla might not fare as well. It's just, you know, I think that that's going to be a problem to everywhere because plenty of automakers can sell in China and eat Mm -hmm. up some of Tesla's market share there. I know that China is driving a lot of these sales right now. So we'll see what happens then. But I think maybe we have a couple of years of this ahead of us where they continue to kind of um, blow everybody's mind with what they're doing, and then I don't know what happens. Yeah, well, like <laughs> you don't so, know. <laughs> no, I don't. I'm a guest. <laughs> <laughs> well, sorry, guys, about not being able to predict the future this time. But I'll this try time. <laughs> She'll be back. I'll be back. Wait so, till the next story. Jeff, in October, Musk said that Tesla was going to be able to maintain an annual growth rate of more than fifty percent for quite a while. Let's say everything's great, and quite a while goes for another year or two or three. Even if they continue to grow like that, are they still going to be relatively small when it comes to the overall automotive picture? Or do you think that they're going to have enough momentum going uh, to kind of solidify themselves as a, you know, the major player that they're currently valued at? Depends. <laughs> oh, um, Let's so let me, let me ask you this. Mm-hmm. If you're, do you think people are buying a Tesla or an electric vehicle? What are they buying? I think they're doing 
both, if mm. I can answer it that way, because um, I do think that there's a lot of people who um, like the idea of the electric car, and especially in California where Teslas are very popular, um, and especially in China, which is driving a lot of the sales growth, as the article said. So I do think people are buying an electric car, mm-hmm. but I think they are also buying a Tesla. And that's that's my point. I think for now, I think that they Tesla has a corner on this market. Um, they have the cool factor. They have the market. Right. Mm. But in a couple of years, I don't I think maybe some of that sheen wears off of, of them being like the only cool kid on the block. Like suddenly there's going to be just this wealth of op- options for people. And I do think that that will detract from some of what they're doing. But I don't know. I answered your question for too long. Please go on. What do you think, David? Um, <clears throat> Doesn't matter. No. I'm no. I, uh, <laughs> wrong. <laughs> it is likely wrong either way. Um, <laughs> but we just recently started talking because with all the uh, crazy prices that we're, you see it on the market, um, you know, for the first time when uh, I kind of uh, brought it up with my wife, I started talking about like, do we want to invest in an EV because it is our second car? Is that worth it uh, to make the investment? Because it's kind of on par with a lot of things that you see on the market right now too. We want to, we want to be part of the electric vehicle movements, but we've been hesitant because of, you know, some of the questions regarding reliability and stuff. So the second vehicle makes sense because that's mostly in town stuff. And, uh, but then I was like, well, I mean, got to be a tesla right like because <laughs> well, that's yeah i'm sorry go ahead no no no. that's what i mean that's what you're gonna say like because i mean while it would be cool to have a leaf in the garage it'd be a lot cooler if it was a tesla yeah and i, I think that answering that question and, and whatever tesla figures out from a marketing perspective is kind of going to dictate not only how well they grow but their growth plan because i think mm-hmm. a lot of it is going to come down to geography quite mm-hmm. honestly and where they want to grow right now looking at some numbers and going out on a limb a little bit. I think Tesla is going to have about 300,000 of those sales coming from the U.S., mm-hmm. about 400,000 of those coming from China. So you're looking at 700,000 roughly out of, what, 936? It's about 75%. Mm-hmm. Globally, car sales, there's about 66 million a year. The U.S. and China are responsible for about 40 of those. So they're a little top-heavy in those two countries, right? Mm-hmm. China yeah. and the U.S. Now, that's not necessarily a bad thing, but again... Are you going to position yourself as that brand Tesla, which I think is what U.S. buyers really gravitate towards? I think there's definitely some prestige, some cool factor with the fact that you have a Tesla. Yeah. Or is it more towards China where it is a little bit more focused on function? Yeah. And some of the, they don't break it down. They didn't, at least for this data, or they haven't yet broken it down by vehicle type and which models are selling best. Mm-hmm. But I have a feeling when you see that, I think their SUV is probably doing better here in the U.S. Yeah, the crossover. That M3 is probably doing better in China. Mm-hmm. So what do you want to do there, Tesla, in terms of continuing this growth? Where do you want to grow? Mm-hmm. Where do you want to be bigger? And I think that's going to dictate what kind of vehicles they put out, what they focus on from a design perspective. And if they want to keep growing by 50%, to me, I think to really get that going, they're already a top 10 um, car seller in China. They're just outside the top or they're just inside the top 20 here in the U.S., but as you guys were talking about, when you've got Nissan and Toyota and all the other um, automakers coming out with new EVs to challenge them here in the U.S., the mm-hmm. EV buyer got a lot of choices now. So mm-hmm. if you're going to go for the brand and the prestige, you go for Tesla. If you're going for function and price, you go someplace else. And that's where it's going to be tough for them to grow. Well, and like the price will go down, I think, as more of this floods the market. Like, mm-hmm. we, you know, we, our family's planning to replace 
our oldest vehicle with an electric, Mm -hmm. but I'm not ready to do that now. I want to do that in two, three years when there's tons of options and they've been proven out and the price goes down. Yeah. And then, you know, Tesla is going to take a different spot, I guess, in that market because, you know, uniquely they're quite expensive and, um, you're you're gonna want to really really want it for for being a Tesla as as Jeff was you know like you're gonna really want that brand it's gonna be different than just I need an electric car. Well, there and here in the U.S., them. I'm sorry, here in the U.S., Tesla also has some safety stuff to figure out. Mm-hmm. They've got a couple different recalls going on. Yeah. So if they do want to compete from a reliability and a safety perspective, which we know is important to a lot of U.S. auto buyers, they need to figure that stuff out too. Well, yeah. and every time. Elon Musk opens his mouth. I trust him less. So like, I don't, <laughs> yeah. there, at, 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 there was a point in time where I think I would have considered that as one of my options going for an EV, but not now. I don't. Yeah. Does Tesla, is Tesla in danger of if it continues on this trajectory and becomes the dominant leader in EVs in America where, you know, is in 10 years having a Tesla the same as having like a cobalt? <laughs> well, I mean, so you're talking about two different things though. Cool. Kind of because when you talk about the EV market, they're already dominating. I mean, they're they're two yeah, to one. I no, mean, they're, yeah, they're dominating yeah. that. Yeah. But if you're looking at it from it being from a brand and from a manufacturer and where they stand with that, that's where they have a long way to go. And no, it's never going to be like that. There's always going to be a sort of exclusivity or whatever you want to say to owning a Tesla. I think I don't think that's going to change. Okay. I don't think he wants that to to, to be the case. Mm-hmm. True. Yeah. No, that's what I was wondering. Is it's like you re- can reach a certain point where. You know, you become GM, and then it's like, yeah, it's you're you're well known. You're one of the uh, the big three, and, uh, but then it's like, eh, you got a Tesla. I think he wants to be more like BMW or than like Jeep, Toyota. Yeah. That's what he wants. To yeah, do. I was thinking more like uh, Jeep, where Jeep is somehow yeah, yeah, there's a lot of yeah, like been able to stay cool despite like mass saturation. No, it's a good <laughs> it's a good analogy. Um, <clears throat> so I thought. Talking about the regulatory problems and recalls that they had, you know, they still their Q4 forecasts were still some forty five thousand dollars or forty five thousand cars more than you know analysts were predicting, and uh, a lot of this growth is going to be contingent on how the new factories in Texas and Berlin ramp up. Mm-hmm. Both were supposed to have their first production cars by the end of twenty twenty one, and it's unknown whether or not they hit that mark. I yeah. mean, uh, <laughs> some of these people requested comment as to whether or not they could confirm. Or, if they had uh, created those cars. And can you believe it? No one got back to them. Well, it's going to be interesting too, because Tesla wants to start making their own batteries now. They were sourcing from Panasonic somewhat. Now they want to go completely on their own. They're going to be hitting a lot more, you would think, Mm -hmm. supply chain challenges too. Well, that's, I mean, a big part of that growth is because in 2020, as automakers were cutting back chip orders, Tesla never reduced its production forecast with suppliers, which helped them kind of weather the chip shortage. And the company has even reprogrammed software to use less scarce chips. And it's just, you know, I like how the company moves forward aggressively, but hasn't been caught by it really other than, I mean, honestly, a couple of recalls and some safety issues, but. They're also not the same scale yet. I mean, almost a million cars is great. Toyota is at like 7 million. So they they, they can skirt some of that just from scale. Yeah. Okay. All right. Our next most popular story this week, more than 700 workers lose their jobs at wind turbine plant. Last Friday, more than 700 workers lost their jobs at TPI Composites in Newton, Iowa. The company ended wind turbine production at the plant. TPI was the largest employer in the county. Now, only 50 workers will stay on 
for field service operations. The company announced the cuts back in October after it failed to secure a contract extension from General Electric. The only silver lining seems to be the demand for skilled workers, as a recent job fair held for the staff drew more than 100 companies. Jeff, your thoughts on uh, TPI closing up shop in Iowa? Yeah, I mean, and there's a lot of things we're going to talk about here, just sort of market factors that I think played a big part in this. Mm -hmm. Still looking at 700 people, and that's just, man, that is harsh, even though they've known about it for a while. Um, The first thing I think, it's funny when you, not funny, it's weird when you see a wind turbine, you're taking renewable energy, and there is all this growth Mm -hmm. in this sector. But there's also been a tremendous amount of growth in terms of competition. There's over 500 facilities in the U.S. now where you can source these parts for these turbines or the turbines themselves. Mm -hmm. So there is more competition. GE bought a competitive TPI like three years ago, I think. LM Wind Power. Um, So that plays a part. So they were gearing up for this. TPI, you know, the other part too is when you're looking at just the design and the functionality of these turbines, they've gotten bigger. So you don't need as many per farm potentially. They've also gotten a lot more efficient, so they're not breaking down as much, so you don't need to replace them as frequently. So there's a lot of different factors here that kind of led to this happening. What you don't like is the (coughs) fact that TPI was so focused on this one customer, you know? Um, We thought, you know, I can remember back when 2007, 2008, we were working in the metal fabrication and the machine shop side of things more closely, and you saw those guys who were so heavily embedded in automotive struggle and just hit bottom and then realize, hey, we need to get into medical. We need to get into some of these other markets too. So it's it was a it would look like a variety of different things that just converged and and collapsed, unfortunately, for these 700 workers. And this town in particular has been through this before. I think it was like 15 years ago, Maytag pulled out. Yeah. yeah. And I think TPI was actually either going to move into or was using one of those facilities. Mm. Like you said, the silver lining is there's a demand for highly skilled workers like these folks are. Yeah, it's a small town, like only 15,000 people. So that has to send shockwaves through the community. And you're right. uh, We saw it talking about the automotive industry, but we saw that just recently with John Deere uh, being shut down for so long. There are a lot of shops that are, you know, very leveraged or deep into the John Deere business. And they were getting scared for a bit there until they... uh, Finally reached an agreement. Mm-hmm. Um, Anna, what were your thoughts on uh, TPI closing up shop? Um, I found it interesting that the coverage of this event, um, one of the things that was being blamed by experts for the closure was the uncertainty around the renewable energy tax credits that Joe Biden was considering extending for another 10 years. Right. Um, at the time of they announced the the layoffs, GE, who was TPI's client um, said that such a move would make the market contract in the near term because it removes a sense of urgency from these projects that would have been there, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, (laughs) I just don't understand the logic, I guess. Like, are we saying that this, you know, a business would remain operational if, if there's this idea of it, like running down the clock, there would have been a flurry of orders. Right. But then if, if the tax extension is not made, then what happens? Like then they, close because there's no tax credit like uh-huh. i don't know it feels like just another story of a company that's sort of caught flat-footed and relying too heavily as jeff said on one single big contract and it's ge so we all know also that ge has been struggling uh-huh. um for like 10 years um maybe that they were making up much too significant amount of their business um and the u.s added more new energy capacity from wind than any other source in 2020 Yet this company had to shutter production because they lose a, a one contract. I don't know. It just seems yeah. like 
I don't know. It seems like uh, the writing was on the wall. I mean, like you said, yeah. GE bought one of their competitors in 2017. Like, it looks like these were annual contracts too. Like every year they were sweating bullets on, is this going to work out? We're going right. to have to shut the place just because of one company. Right. Well, and GE bought that competitor in 2017. So it's been like yeah. four or five years. You had some time yeah, to yeah. figure this out maybe, or I don't know. Diversify a bit. Yeah. It just seems like, I mean, we've seen this happen quite a few times recently where it's like, you know, I, that, 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 what was it called? The muffin Ma'am, oh, muffin yeah. ma'am, muffin ma'am, yeah. That was like a road trip. Yeah, out. like uh, we had to shut down for the pandemic for three weeks, and then we had to go under. Like, yeah. what is going on with your like liquidity? And y- you can't operate for more than X amount of time if you lose one tiny. It just like it feels like a house of cards with some of these companies that yeah. they're just running. Yeah. So I don't know if it's like needing to appease investors and sending back returns and not investing back in that company. You have no rainy day fund. Yeah, no room for error whatsoever. That's really scary way to operate. Well, for this company, it felt like this was just one, this is one facility. Mm-hmm. This is one part of their business. Yeah. It kind of felt like we're just going to take what we got while it's there. And when it happens, we're going away, which is fine, except when there's 700 people's lives right. mm-hmm. who are affected by it. What was the uh, the milk company that went under because Walmart decided to fail? Was that Dean? Yeah. yeah. Did they go under? Or I, I thought they filed for bankruptcy. I don't know if they went under, but they had yeah. structure. I ju- it just it was. I, uh, I'm trying to think of more examples of these companies that got mm-hmm. too reliant. And we see it on a smaller scale when it comes to like any sales associate, right? Mm-hmm. Like any sales associate that has that is uh, has that one big whale of a client, and maybe they stop, you know, servicing some of those smaller clients. Mm-hmm. You know, when the whale goes away, there is a yeah. huge void, and you are left very exposed. Um, <clears throat> and I like the point about blaming the tax credit possibly being extended because when that happened with uh when that was going to expire with solar power mm-hmm. you know i like emailed one company one time about an interest in solar panels after you and uh, mm-hmm. our associate uh, mike hockett got solar panels I'm like yeah let's check it out and man if i didn't get on a list and i was just texted and called every day like yeah. hey that credit is going away it's going away and you're leaving money on the table you gotta get money on the it. table you gotta do it now and yep. i'm just like all right the volume's too much we're just going to, you know what, I'm just going to burn oil drums in the basement now. That's all I'm going to do. Um, but is it better if they don't extend that credit? How is that better <laughs> no, for the company? Like, it just, it seems like a, a, an easy thing to blame. It's, you it's can blame reach. it either yeah. way, right? It's like, a reach. And actually, GE coming out and saying that, I don't really, they were the ones who said it. It wasn't even TPI. It was GE it. who said it, yeah. Which is, so it is kind of odd. It's the whole dynamic around them saying, because we're doing something more to support green energy, it actually hurts green energy. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, I can see the the need for some municipalities or whomever might be in, in putting in huge orders for mm-hmm. for these turbines to saying, "Hey, we want to do it while this credit's still in effect." But I mean, it's Joe Biden. Like, was there really a doubt this isn't going to happen? Well, I mean, and if you know that the market's going to contract in the short term, yeah. and you cannot stay afloat to survive right. that, then there is a, another problem, right? right? Well, and they did mention that. There was also the rising costs for raw materials like resin and carbon fiber, as well as some of the supply chain bottlenecks that hurt them as well. Um, so those at least sounded more reasonable as uh, excuses rather than or reasons, you know, <laughs> right. than yeah. just like Joe Biden, am I right? Yeah. Killing this company. Dead. Um, on the bright side, I did like the uh, coverage of the job fair because the job fair demand was so high, they had to split it into multiple shifts. There were four companies in the morning or 45 companies in the morning, 
45 companies in the afternoon. They had to add a day because there were so many people. Uh, Iowa manufacturers like Titan Tire, Lindsay Corporation, Manco, Wing, uh, Manco Window Systems, Grief, and JBS all were yeah. there competing for <clears throat> these workers. You know, Amazon was there, of course, because they're just like, we need numbers. <laughs> but uh, I thought that was cool to see a lot of manufacturing representation, you know, looking for skilled labor. For sure. Yeah. Hopefully they're not on the other side of the state. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. All right. <clears throat> Our next most popular story. Uh, wait, is this the number one? Yep. Our top story this Whoa. week. Whoa. Let's get it. We're there top already, story. David. We're there already. It's been a whirlwind. It's just good to be back, guys. It is. Uh, vehicle models headed for extinction in 2022. USA Today recently put together <clears throat> a list of vehicle models that have been discontinued for the U.S. markets in 2022. Some aren't that shocking, like the three-door hatchback Hyundai Ve- uh, Veloster. Is it the Veloster? I knew I needed a... Okay. And the Honda Clarity. The list also includes the Volvo V60 and V90 wagons and Kia's Sedona minivan. The Toyota Avalon and Mazda 6 are conventional sedans that will bid farewell, as well as the Volkswagen Passat after some 30 years in the U.S. The list also includes a pair of EVs, BMW's i3 and the Hyundai Ioniq, as the companies focus on other EVs. SUVs didn't escape the cuts either, even though it's, you know, Mazda's CX-3 compact SUV. Finally, the Toyota Land Cruiser will only be sold overseas. Jeff, when you saw this list, were there any surprises to you? There were. There were a couple. I think the one thing to remember here too, though, is these are just in the U.S. These yeah. So globally, they're just still going to be available because the ones that caught my eye, um, the Mazda 6 and the Passat, the VW Passat. Mm-hmm. I mean, the VW Passat at one point was selling over 100,000 vehicles. I mean, yeah. that was a fairly popular um, vehicle. So that one was really surprising. Uh, but both of those, those two vehicles in particular, I think they fall into that genre right now where people just – there's not really anything wrong with them. They just don't want them. They're mm-hmm. they're four cylinder, four door <clears throat> sedans. They're good cars. They rate out well in terms from a safety perspective. They're a good value buy. It's not what people want. Mm-hmm. They just they're, there's there's why they're going away. The Passat in particular in China. We were just talking about it. Which, by the way, would you guess that Volkswagen is the number one selling brand in China? Interesting. Yeah, yeah. but the Passat. I mean, it sells like a quarter million vehicles there every year. Mm-hmm. So it's still got a place globally in the market just not here in the U.S. The other one that caught my eye was the B, BMW i3, mm-hmm. just because there was so much around that oh, when yeah, it came out. Mm-hmm. It was such a big deal. It was really launching that whole platform for BMW. But I think when people look at it, it's forty-five grand. it has got a 150-mile range. It's not mm-hmm. a ton of power. It's small for a BMW. It's just not real sexy for that amount of money. It won't mm-hmm. stand up in the next two years to <clears throat> what else is coming out. Yeah. Like, yeah. So, and the sales just plummeted. I mean, for all of these vehicles, at one point they were strong and over the last three, four years, I mean, it is, it's not even gradual. <laughs> it <laughs> yeah. is, it is a nosedive. So it makes sense here in the U.S. for them to go away. But again, all these vehicles do have life in other markets. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's just, again, what the consumer was telling these companies and they're responding to it. Anna, we're talking about interest in EVs. Good thing we didn't buy into that I3 right away. Mm, I know. I was waiting that one out. <laughs> uh, yeah, the only tears I shed over these um, was probably the that Passat. I did like that car. But mm-hmm. um, as a longtime Volkswagen owner, I've never owned one. So I guess I'm part of the problem. Um, <laughs> but yeah, as, as like Andy points out in the video, and as you did, Jeff, that these smaller cars are obviously more likely to get the axe. Um, you know, as these companies try to reach these sort of elusive fuel economy requirements they can 
sort of dispense these smaller cars and replace them with electrics since cafe standards are evaluated on like total fleet um, level, meaning they're like miles per gallon equivalent of an electric um, can offset some of those larger, better selling vehicles. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's just good business, I think. So like we've talked about before, whether it's consumers don't want small cars or automakers don't want to make small cars, um, I don't know. But obviously, we know what's happening. Yeah. It's just, you know, reports have said that, like, these smaller, more fuel-efficient cars are actually, like, kind of loss leaders for the auto companies because they're just expensive to development, develop them, just as, as expensive to market them, but they don't have the margin on them like these big SUVs and trucks do. So they were making them, I think, because they helped satisfy some of the fuel efficiency requirements that they needed um, to, you know, to keep you know, these cafe standards have been around since what the seventies. Um, but now I think that the opportunity is replace these with EVs and then we don't have to make them anymore. Mm-hmm. Well, I think the, the M six and the, the Passat in particular, those are, I get the whole thing with the calf standards. That was definitely mm-hmm. a part of it. I think the SUVs just ate them up because those are decent sized cars. I mean, those yeah. are four. If you mm-hmm. get three small kids, you can fit in the back seat mm-hmm. without a problem. But without a problem, you could fit them in the back seat. You can get them back there. <laughs> yeah. Just are they within, the right tone. Are yep. they within kicking distance? Well, and also, they, it's not a problem for me. They can't, they can't be, they can't even be in like a moderately safe booster chair. Because if you're trying to fit three of the, uh, those three wide, there's just no chance. Well, once they're out of the booster, David, I had three of them in the back of my Impala, no problem. Oh, okay. Well, then I'll bring down the Iron Fist. They just, Boy, <laughs> listen to me, or it's the I back of the hand. I with wouldn't you. use that voice. Yeah. That does not express your weird old, control old or authority. Timey voice. <laughs> my old time radio voice. No, all right. <laughs> that does not convey authority. No, no, I don't. Yeah, no it's, one's listening to that. I, no one wants to hear the the angry dad voice that I have. It's very scary. Um, I was surprised to see the minivan go away because the Kia Sedona, the Kia Sedona minivan, the least popular minivan. Yeah. Because I like, as you enter this, you know, parenthood, which is like a different pack of people. Like Mm -hmm. all I heard was like, yeah, you got an SUV, huh? It should have been a minivan. Like who said that ever? Tons of people say that. Yeah. You would not believe it. There's a minivan tribe out there. Oh yeah. And it's basically anyone at your kid's school. Just like didn't want the minivan, huh? Like, no, what? it's kind of like the F-150 dad. Here's my theory on it, though. I think that the people who get the minivan, um, they want to make you feel shame for not doing it because mm-hmm. it makes them feel better. Yeah, because about doing it. So then they say, like, <laughs> you know, there's like a, a indented back and you can put way more groceries in there. And mm-hmm. the door that you don't have to open is a lifesaver in our garage. And then then you just have to feel like the shame of being. Yeah. Better parents drive minivans. Better parents drive minivans, and we are not those parents, I guess. Are any of these cuts, I didn't see it in the article, um, are any of these cuts due to supply chain issues? Or is this just straight up demand? It just isn't there. I think this is just demand driven. I I didn't, just looking at the sales numbers, like I said, they Mm -hmm. they, they fell off the cliff. The Veloster. The Veloster. I just... You know that does sound like a David Manti vehicle, though. Yeah. No, a Velo Star, and he'd call it the Velo Star. Velo Star sounds would, like my he, his Capri Suns. He would drink yeah. his Capri Suns in there. And what was the name of the city in Washington that you said wrong? I can't. Spokane. I can't remember Spokane. it either. No, it's completely lost on me, guys. Um, <laughs> if David's brothers could please email the podcast and remind us of all those things, yes, that'd be all wonderful. things. Oh, they will. Um, no, it was just. Uh, I'm always interested to see a list like this, and uh, the one I, I agree. Just to echo your same sentiment sentiments um i was surprised to see this facade as well mm-hmm. just because both you and uh 
producer Alex have rocked that Passat like it's for a Jetta. years. It's a Jetta and a Jetta. a Jetta. Yep, two it's Jettas. Two Jettas. Mm-hmm. Are they really? Mm-hmm. Never mind. This is why I'm not a car guy. Yeah. You know what? I hear that Jetta's a banger though. <laughs> the Jetta is still there. Yeah. Oh my goodness. The Jetta survived. Um. All right. Completely wrong on that. For one. the five people that'll get this reference, old Greece <laughs> drove a Passat. He did. Old, old Greece, if you're watching. Yes. He's we love you. Love we you remember your Passat. He timed out after about five minutes. <laughs> What's the first story? I'm out. Yeah. Thanks for sticking with us, everybody. <laughs> <clears throat> All right. Let's move into, in case you missed it, the incredible stories that you just can't miss. Or maybe you did on the website, and we want to make sure you didn't. None uh, of them are about the Omicron variant, so don't worry. <laughs> do you have COVID fatigue? So do we. That's why we're so not talking about it. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I have to change my final thought. Sorry. No. (laughs) All right. Uh, And in case you missed it, we like to talk about the stories that maybe weren't as popular on the websites, but stand to make a big big difference on the industry going forward. Jeff, what is your in case you missed it this week? So I picked this one, and I don't have a side on this. I just thought it was ridiculous. Mm -hmm. This is the $475 million settlement proposed in the longest running U.S. oil spill. So way back in 2004, there was Hurricane Ivan. Hurricane Ivan swept through the Gulf Coast, and it caused a subsea mudslide that knocked over a Taylor Oil production platform, dragging and breaking a cluster of pipes. In total, there must have been 25 of them. Taylor was able to fix nine of them, but for some reason could not fix the other 16. (sighs) Now, I'm not going to claim to be an oil uh, refining expert in any way, shape, or form, but you just couldn't do it. Mm. Like there was just, you couldn't weld them shut. Like you couldn't do nothing Yeah, because basically those 16 wells have been leaking now into the Gulf right off of the of new Orleans. Yeah. For since 2004. Huge. <clears throat> yeah. yeah. So basically Taylor went under in 2008. The only reason that company even exists is to basically respond to things that are still going on with this platform. Mm. As part of the settlement, it was a 430 some million dollar trust was created to help remediate the area. Mm. So basically, Taylor has been there just funneling these, putting these funds into use sporadically to help address the environmental issues that have been created from this huge oil spill. Yeah. Again, we can't just clamp the tube shut. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I'm just kind of at a loss for that. And the fact that it's taken this long to get this away from Taylor, right. who has no other function here, they don't do oil and gas anymore. Mm-hmm. They just exist to manage this trust to respond to this ongoing issue. Mm. So finally, <laughs> the powers that be settled with Taylor to take control of this trust. And in, in exchange for that, they had to, Taylor who had to agree to drop some other lawsuits to make sure that they weren't held liable for this oil spill. One of the suits they had to drop was against a federal contractor who they said um, trespassed into their area to set up a mitigation strategy that has captured 800,000 gallons of oil. So they were suing. They were, they were suing running. the guy <laughs> who was trying to come out of there because they must have felt, well, you know, if we admit he's helping, that means we're at fault. Oh, oh my, my God. goodness! So the fact that all of these different things were in place and it took 17 years mm. to figure out is the part that blows my mind. Um, and it's now the amount that's still coming out is, depending on who you ask, it's trickling. It's not very, it's not that much. It's not supposed to be a big concern. Yeah. It's supposed to be a low enough amount that the natural forces can mitigate it by themselves. I mean, it's still poison in water. But yeah. Still, like still yeah. an oil company just would say. clamp the tube. Yeah. 
I, I don't understand why this is not feasible. Stick a potato in it. Yeah. I, I don't get yeah. it. We've so covered, this one just kind of blew my mind. We've covered so many oil spills over the years and how it becomes a litigious nightmare and not just an overall overall like group effort to fix the problem is maddening. Is is just maddening to mm-hmm. me. I don't know. It's uh you know, especially when you tell the story of um them suing somebody trying to help remediate uh their yeah. spill. That's just ridiculous. So ideally this four hundred and thirty two million dollar cleanup trust fund and Taylor's gonna pay another forty three million and it will go to the um, National Oceanic and Atmosphere Agency's National Ocean Service to help hopefully manage this cleanup. Mm. All right. Well, it's because we already have enough water. We don't need any more of that. Right. Yeah, it's fine. <laughs> Everything's fine. <clears throat> All right. Sunny, Thanks sunny for coming story. to me first. Yeah. So All right. Get that out of the way. Well, uh, I my In Case You Missed It this week is about a humble lizard that is uh, actually – Possibly a new solution for engineering artificial lungs. How do you know the lizard is humble? Oh, because like that Geico jerk. No, yeah, no, he no, does, no. He's, talking about himself all yeah, the time. No, no, no. That was not um, brash. a brown anole lizard. That's a green Geico lizard, and they're monsters. Gecko. Apparently, yeah, it's a gecko. Man, I'm really struggling today. <laughs> all right, <laughs> a green. A green. <clears throat> David hasn't been around growing ups in a while. So. No, no, no. I said I've had to keep it real simple. It's I've, called the Geico lizard. The Geico lizard. Uh, so researchers from Princeton University recently turned to the brown anole lizard to learn how the lizard breathes with ultimate simplicity. So humans, you know, redevelop over months and years these tree-like structures that are our lungs. And mm-hmm. the anole lung develops in just a few days. It's a gourd-like structure that looks like a mesh stress ball that is less refined but works just as well as the human lung. Now, because they grow quickly, the lizard's lungs have inspired engineers to come up with new designs for advanced biotechnologies. In less than two days, the lizard's organ goes from a flat balloon to a fully formed lung. Now, the process has been simple enough that researchers built a working replica in a lab using 3D printing and other, uh, other technologies. Now, as research progresses on the work, it could lead to a new artificial lung. And I just found this story really interesting because I like any stories that have to do with biomimicry and how we find solutions to modern problems in a natural environment. And when it comes to possibly better, easier to produce artificial lungs, Mm -hmm. that seems like a win for everybody. That's pretty awesome. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I just want to know the person who's like hanging out, having lunch and the lizard jumps on his leg and he's like, I'm going to rip that open and see what his lungs look like. Yeah. You know, I got a good feeling about these lungs. I think if I dissect this tiny, cute little beast, this, uh, what is it? Humble beast. Yeah. I uh, might find a mesh stress ball in there. Yeah. We might find a gourd like lung that I can easily 3D print and make millions off of. Oh, man. There's just so many maniacs out there just cutting things apart. Sickos. Yeah. Uh, But, you know, it was a slower news week last week. This was one. <laughs> because of the holidays, oh man, not a lot of people working. Build it up. Yeah, I mean, the I can best all, I could do. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, hey, new lungs of of the vitals you, that you I got, might. You get to work biomimicry into yeah. there. Oh, that's, mm-hmm. that's yeah. Hey, that's uh, I'm aghast with impression. Yeah, this is no humble lizard over here. <laughs> uh, you know, typically I like to focus on lung, like our uh, organs that I'm going to need, like any advancements in 3D printing livers or hearts. 
But uh, you know, like <laughs> arms. <laughs> I mean, I think I'm gonna hang on to those. I am gonna hang on to those lungs, though. That's another one you need. Yeah. Um. All right. You're. I mean, another I'm awesome at, application like, for 3D printing. Obviously. Yeah. Oh yeah. Good and stuff. It, just how they and they because it's so, such a simple structure, they can make it fast too. So uh, I mean. I've seen some artificial lungs before, and it doesn't look like it's easily manufacturable. You've seen some artificial lungs before. I mean, we cover like medical design and development, so okay, yeah, okay. I mean, not like personally, like you talk about. Yeah, he's like all these weirdos who know all this about lungs and are always looking at lungs. Yeah, and then he sees me. He's like, "Eh, I've seen those before. Yeah, I've seen it. Seen it. Seen a lot of lungs. Seen it. You want to see a cool (laughs) lung? Look at this gourd I got. (laughs) <laughs> also, I didn't know that uh, like these like mesh stress balls were such a thing, and I've already ordered like a six pack off of Amazon. Um, Anna, what are your stress relief methods, and what's your in case you missed it? Uh, stress relief. Do you mm. do the fidgets? Uh, no, but I got um, my daughter asked for some poppets for Christmas, yeah. and so we got her some poppets in her stocking, and everybody loves them. Mm-hmm. They're nice. Yeah, they're you just- don't. Yeah, you don't realize that you've been popping those for so long. Yeah. And then you're just like, why am I? So- oh, God, it works. Yeah. So yeah. soothed. They're soothing. Yeah. Uh, so my In Case You Missed It is about the Suez Canal. Mm. Nobody's stuck in there this time. Uh, <laughs> the story is that the annual revenues from the Suez Canal reached $6.3 billion in 2021, which is the highest in the waterway's history. Mm. And I chose this article because I know you were all worried about the canal yeah, after, after that stoppage. Yeah. After that stoppage where Egyptian authorities tried to seek about a billion dollars in compensation <laughs> after the Ever Given was trapped for six days. Um, and this figure reportedly included the cost of tugboats, dredgers, and crews hired to salvage the ship, as well as the loss of revenue while mm. the canal was blocked. And my favorite, loss of reputation. So <laughs> The yeah. Suez Canal is suffering from a loss of reputation. <laughs> right, yep. Man. So, yeah, so the owner and the insurers of the enormous container ship, the Ever Given, um, settled with Egyptian authorities a few months later. And it looks like in the end, everybody fared just fine here. And despite the blockage, was able to move 10% more ships than um, the year prior. So the reputation of the Suez Canal is intact. (laughs) Did the Grand Canyon call and be like, we're still number one now. We're number one now. Exactly. Yeah. So please don't lose any sleep over the canal's reputation. It is fine. So, but did revenues like peak because of supply chain problems that its blockage caused? You know what I think? I think that revenues were up because of the marketing around the Suez Canal. I think people were like, wait, there's a canal there? My goodness. (laughs) We've been going the whole way around. What is this Suez? And then they Google it. Oh, yeah, yeah, there is. We should use it. (laughs) But come over here. Look at this. I keep hearing about this. Canal. Canal. Yeah. Uh, well, thank goodness for the canal. <laughs> it worked out. Yeah. I mean, how's how's the Panama Canal doing? I don't know. I don't know. Oh, okay. Maybe Down maybe here. it's weird that all the canals have suffered a reputation. Yeah. Hit. Maybe mm. we They're should banding together and see what Panama has to yeah. say about that. <laughs> the like global canal consortium. Niagara Falls is pissed because it's down to number three now. Consortium. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well. Sorry, we're glad you guys didn't miss those stories. Yeah. Glad you didn't miss them this week. <laughs> All right, <clears throat> let's move on to our final thoughts this week. Anna, what's your final thought? I just wanted to say thanks to Andy Zoll for filling in for me three weeks in a row. Um, and I am happy to be back. The COVID is out of my house. Sorry to bring it up because I know we weren't going to talk about COVID, but it's gone now. So for us, <laughs> it's anyway. gone now. 
Oh, well, for uh, now. For now. <laughs> it's gone for three months. Yeah, I know. Yeah. To help it be gone, please get vaccinated. Yeah. Um, no, I would just, my final thought this week is to also get boosted. And then how this week was just a whirlwind of, you know, you have just such good plans for a week off, a week away from <clears> the <throat> office. And I was mm-hmm. had like a list of things I was going to knock out. And then just two kids get sick and all of a sudden it is Sunday and you're not even sure. And you forget your laptop to come into work. Yeah. Uh, which is also why I'm probably losing my voice now because I've been doing nothing but whispering and shouting for a week, not talking in a normal cadence with adults. So uh, thanks for sticking with me, guys. <laughs> There's not enough water in the sandpaper of a voice box. Well, I'm not going to say how great my break was because I did not have to deal with the stuff that you guys did. I caught the occasional text where you're like, hey, do you want to do this too? And I'm like, I would really <laughs> like to do that, Jeff. <laughs> Unfortunately, I am covered in vomit. <laughs> You literally were. That was a great story. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Ugh, you had it worse. Yeah. Mm. Shifting gears a little bit here. <laughs> yeah, yep. During the break, we did have a bunch of people um, reach out with the, about the trivia question, mm-hmm. the answer. We only had one correct response. Congratulations to Chris Washi. We'll get that awesome Today in Manufacturing podcast t-shirt out to you. And just to re, um, repeat the one from last week, or it was, uh, when do most stairway falls occur? We had a lot of people saying walking down the stairs. It's actually going up the stairs. What? Right. That's when more accidents occur. And I can actually testify to that because I was in a plant. They warned me going up the stairs because the spacing was not right. Yeah. Like, mm. be careful. You're going to hit your shin and you're going to trip. I said, whatever. I hit my shin and I tripped going up the stairs. Whoa. So Chris nailed it. And um, thanks for everybody else for uh, responding. And guess what? You get another chance. Yeah. Uh, one of those sweet, sweet... Today, manufacturing podcast. Am I t-shirts. allowed to yell out anything after you ask it? Just not. Just the not right the answer. answer. You can just yeah. yell randomly oh, if you okay. need to. Yeah. Just fine. wrong answers. Yes, good. I'm good yeah. at that. Here I we have go. One question before yes. we start. So, no, you're not eligible. Are these? That's fine. I just took an entire drawer full of shirts home this week, and that's all I wore was today in manufacturing shirts nice. and like plaid pants. Um, so, <clears throat> like an adult. Uh, I was curious. Are these questions now? They're from trivia cards that are a little older. Ours, it's very older. So, yes. but they're still like the answer is still correct now. How old are the I mean, cards? I mean, they are from 1988. Okay, so we mm. are putting that out there. I don't think they're wrong. Mm. You know? Yeah. I think, I think you could people, probably find some statistic, but we yeah. we put this precursor out there. Yeah. They, we know we're getting into there are no here. wrong answers. Pre mobile old answers. Yeah, yeah. pre mobile phones. You don't know. I mean, people could be tripping down the stairs more often now because they're on their phones. That's fair. Mm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We're going from the card. People are walking into sewers. I'm sure they can't manage stairs. They don't (laughs) see giant holes in the ground. Um, But what is it? What's the question? All right. Here we go. What serious condition is suggested by clear fluid from the ears and nose? So what has happened to you if you see clear fluid Mm -hmm. coming from your ears and nose? What are you... Suffering from 1980s what conditions happened. Yeah. I would say I would say this is still very. This, this like would actually be something I would answer when I was going through first aid training in the army. Oh, this okay. is kind of um, mm. yeah. Don't answer it, David. No, I'm just thinking it's got to be something that I clearly have to administer drops to a child for. Like, um, probably not. No, okay. <laughs> Jeff, Jeff was like uh, asking. He was telling me the question before the podcast, and I was like, David has a ton of experience <laughs> of looking in people's ears for fluid. Yes. Yeah. 
I have any sort of drainage related questions that you may have, please reach me at send, David at I am. This is a serious condition. Okay. Clear fluid from the ears and nose. It's let's sounds, know what's going on. I, I think I know. Probably not anything I don't know. good. All right. Not anything good. We need theme music for this trivia part of the podcast. A little Jeopardy? Yeah. Like uh I could, I could put that in. Okay. okay, Alex can easily put that in. We also would like some transition music. Uh, <laughs> and some, and David some, asking for a lot in the new year. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And some exit music. Can we get out of here? All I want for Christmas is transition music. I hope you had me in Secret Santa. All right. <clears throat> Before we get out of here, as Anna so insists, please make sure to like, share, and subscribe to the podcast. Email the podcast. You can reach any of us at Jeff, Anna, or David at IN.com with email the podcast in the subject line. You can also subscribe to our daily or weekly newsletters. Make sure that when the podcast comes out, you get it in your inbox first. All right. For Jeff and Anna, I'm David Manti. This is the Today in Manufacturing podcast. We'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to the Today in Manufacturing podcast.